Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 98 of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast, the podcast that explores business owners and entrepreneurs' journeys to pull back that curtain and give you guys, the viewers and the listeners, a little bit of insight into that world, inspire you, and help you to fire up and find your inner hunger for the hustle. My guest today is Larry Rifkin, live from Milwaukee. How are you, Larry? Sorry, sorry. I am, I'm do, I am doing great today. And as Lori, I always have to tell people it's Larry with an O because nobody believes a guy has a name called Lori. <laughs> well, he certainly does. And I have Lori in front of me. So you're living proof. It's a real name. <laughs> I'm a real name. I'm a real person. <laughs> always good to know. And on the subject of the hunger for the hustle, Laurie is someone who certainly has a lot of that. Uh, busy gentleman, Laurie Rifkin, CPA, has 40 years of business experience ranging from accounting, operations, sales, and marketing. He specializes in returning companies to profitability. He owns four businesses in Milwaukee, a, a business turnaround to profit improvement firm, a bookkeeping and accounting service, a networking and training event company, and residential rental units on Milwaukee's east side. Something fascinating about Laurie, which I can't wait to talk more about, is that Laurie was once upon a time a shy introvert. Today, however, he's a networking powerhouse, and we'll be diving into his journey and his story to see what he learned along the way. Laurie, an absolute pleasure to have you here. And I think a, a good thing a good thing would be to start talking about is what really is networking events and why are they so important for business? I'll, I'm going to separate it because the event is separate than the process of networking because you can network in person, not at an event. Um, and I'll give you my definition of networking. Networking is sales of the most important product in the world, and that's yourself. So all networking is selling yourself. And people want to sell themselves for many different reasons. I could give a couple of those reasons, Jake. Some people want to sell themselves to get a new job. Some people want to sell themselves to sell product. Some people want to sell themselves to get friends. If you actually want to look at it, dating is a special form of networking where someone wants to sell themselves to get a potential mate or spouse. So really, networking is just a form of humans selling themselves to other people. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it and quite a quite a bare bones way to look at it, but it is absolutely right. You know, you're you're trying to sell sell yourself essentially and sell people on your qualities and I guess that then leads to people asking what do you do and networking in in more of a, a business sense. Well, the interesting thing is I I believe in what I call upside down networking. You don't necessarily lead to what you do. And even when you do say what you do, you do it in a form where people have to ask questions. So if I told you when I meet somebody and they ask what I do, I say, I tell business owners what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, then roll up my sleeves and get stuff done. But you don't know what I do for a living when I say that. Mm creating the mysteriousness, the, the curiosity. Because then you drive questions. And remember, uh, when I said networking is sales, sales takes building a relationship, building trust. So the goal of networking is to build relationships with people 
And you do that by asking questions about the other person, not necessarily saying what you do. Right. Now, that is upside down um, networking. And it's an interesting way to look at it. What got you into networking, Larry? I know you, you I mentioned the fact that you were once upon a time, you know, an introverted person. And to be running networking events, you know, as a networking powerhouse, that's certainly not something you would typically think of an introvert to do. So what kind of made that change within you? Was there a certain poignant moment where it happened or did it yes, gradually? But, some, but you have to understand first, um, people who meet me do not believe I'm an introvert, but this is how shy and introverted I was. When I was young, growing up at my parents' house and the doorbell rang, I would run to the basement and hide because I didn't want to meet anybody. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still shy and I'm still introverted. But here's the dirty little secret of introvert networking. I only have to come on your show. I only have to act the part of an extrovert for 40 minutes. And then I could go back and be my introverted self. So the reality is I'm still an introvert. I just have learned to be exceedingly powerful in putting on an extrovert's face when I go out to the public. And you asked what, what drove me to do that? getting fired and having to go build a business and build an income. If you're an introvert, you don't talk to anybody. You can never meet anyone to sell to. And so by definition, I was forced to go out and start talking to people. The problem was I didn't understand how to do it. There was no books, no mentors. It took a long journey to uncover the little secrets of networking for me to be successful at it, Jake. And what, what's, what was the, what was the first, what, what what inspired you to think, I want to start doing these networking events? Did you go to one yourself? Oh, I went to one. I went to one. Um, somebody told me about a networking event, and I did, I wouldn't know anyone there. It was at Miller Park where they paid, played baseball in Milwaukee, the Brewers paid. I bought a ticket for the event, and it was in a special area of the park. I stared at that area for over 40 minutes before I would go in. I was frozen with fear. I go, I don't know who I, I don't know anyone. I don't know what to say. I didn't have confidence. I was shy. And finally I said, you know what? I'm just gonna go in. I wind up having a blast left with 40 business cards. And that was the turnaround to say that I could do this. And how long did it take you from there, from realizing that moment to having your first event? Probably 15 years. <laughs> because here's the thing you're still an introvert at your core and the biggest fear i had as an introvert of networking besides many people was the fear of failure is anyone going to talk to me do i have anything interesting to say that people want to have a conversation with me will people like me all those fears were more powerful in preventing me from starting than the actual doing it if I learned now, if someone doesn't want to talk to you, move on to the next person. So if you're learning to network and you have this fear that you're not good, you don't know people to talk to you, I would tell you just work through that fear because if you do it enough, people will talk to you. And here's one reason uh, they will. Everybody has a unique story in life. And remember, you're talking about stories. You're asking people about their stories in life and you're sharing your stories. And when you do that enough, you get a lot of commonality with people and it makes it easier to talk to them. Yeah, I think 
a lot of people are either living their dreams or living their fears really it's it's one or the other really you know that's that's how that is and i think it's it can be hard to push yourself out of that space but it's it involves doing of course and like you did you know you went to one event and spurred you on and okay maybe took you a few years to get to the place of where you wanted to get to because you were stuck in living in them fears for a while but by doing and just doing more and pushing yourself from the comfortable place to the uncomfortable place a lot of growth comes out of that and before you know it things are really happening and things are really changing for you yeah and there's one other thing um it took me forever to accept this you have to you have to learn to fail failure is what drives your success I have a saying in the business world, failure is the cost of goods sold of success. Um, somebody told me I, I've coined these phrases, they're lorryisms, but it really is. The more I failed and experimented, the more successful I got and the more my fear went away. So you have to embrace failure. If you, um, if you really are not good at networking, you don't like it and it scares you, you have to learn to fail. And that's very difficult for people, but if you get over that hurdle, you could be very successful. Mm, yeah, I, I think, you know, as, as someone who's had many businesses uh, in, in my adult life, and really I started kind of having businesses when I was uh, young, really. I was that kind of guy who would sell chocolate and candy on the playground to the other kids, just, just doing that. You know, that was the first hustle, and then it went to flipping stuff on eBay. But I've had multiple businesses, even one business in the past 12 months, which I just had to let go and accept the fact that, it was a fail and it didn't work out. And what are the lessons I can really learn from it and make sure I don't make the same mistakes again um, and take as much value as I can from it. And I think sometimes we, you know, let go or be dragged is, is a phrase I hear that sometimes we cling on to things because of the fear of failure when they've really already failed and we're just pumping our time, effort, sometimes even money into them when we just need to let them go and learn some lessons from them and focus put some focus and energy into the next thing. Well, there's a powerful uh, uh, school of thought is learning when to quit. Like I said, failure is the cost of good sold of success. So you can't fail if you don't quit. So quitting is not failure long-term, it's just a momentary failure. So if something's not working, you have to quit and try it again. I've had to do that. Uh, COVID forced me to do that more and forced a lot of people. Uh, my core business, I couldn't handle any more work before COVID came. And then COVID came, people didn't want me on site and people were shutting down. I had customers disproportionately hit. And I wake up and say, what am I going to do now? And if I was afraid of failure, I wouldn't try anything. I launched two startups during COVID because I realized that you could sit there in fear or you could just go out there and try. And I'd rather fail trying. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Laurie. I'd rather fail trying than have not tried at all. And I think that COVID was a fascinating time for business. It still is a fascinating time for business in terms of the opportunities that were presented from it. And um, it doesn't surprise me at all that you you started two started two businesses within COVID. I know so many people have started their own business, and and a lot of people who have taken their passion, just something they enjoy doing. And they've started, you know, selling products online with it as a little side hustle inside COVID. So, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's fantastic. And and is it true that lunch with Laurie, your networking events, they actually started kind of in the time of COVID? Is that right? Well, I'll tell you a little bit of the story of lunch with Laurie. So, as part of my networking, I realize everyone has to eat. 
So when I started really pushing networking like four or five years ago, I decided I'm going to fill my schedule with people taking them out for breakfast or lunch. And I would do that, but it was kind of boring. You go out and, oh, I'm Lori, I sell this. And they would say, I'm Joe, I sell that. And you would talk about business and it, it was just like one dimensional, it wasn't fun. So for the hell of it, I start asking personal questions. What kind of vacation do you like to take? What do your kids like to do? Is your spouse the same or an opposite of you? And I started asking a series of questions and these conversations went from a business conversation to a personal level. And where I would say we're going to meet for 30, 40 minutes, we'd be talking for an hour. And I realized people don't get to share their story. And when you ask questions like that, you're sharing people's stories. We live in a day of 10 second sound bites where people don't get to talk about themselves. So one day I meet someone for breakfast and they had a great, interesting story. And I go, could I write your story on LinkedIn? And they said, yes. So I take a picture and write their story. And I start writing people's stories after I meet them, not about their business. I would ask them where they were born. I would have their life stories. And I had to do it real, real short because LinkedIn has a 1300 character limit. And I would do that and people started reading them. And then um, I have a mentor, somebody I helped who was really mad at me because I helped him in her business unsolicited. I do that a lot and get in trouble a lot. And they, I was at a golf outing and they did not want to talk to me after the 14th hole because I had irritated him so much. But a month later, it came to me and said, everything you told me was spot on, and I have a gift for you. I created a hashtag called Lunch of Lori on LinkedIn, but there's only one requirement. You have to use it. So I started using it, and then I go, I'm going to hold an event right before COVID, last March. And I got 35 people to pay. I rented out a cooking school. I was going to have a real Lunch of Lori for 35 people. And COVID hit and I had to refund everybody's money. So I'm sitting there. Oh, my God. I had this whole event. I never never had my own networking event. I was so proud to do it. And I had to give everyone's money back. And the same gentleman who gave me the hashtag lunch of Lori said, what are you waiting for? And I sort of knew what he meant. He was talking. When are you going to shift to online? You're going to have to go online. And so I decided to do a lunch of Lori online on Zoom. But I wasn't going to make it a standard Zoom call. I had 10 those same personal questions I would ask people when I would meet them. I made his requirement for registration for the event. So you couldn't even come. And I did questions. What's the most embarrassing moment in your life? What's the funniest thing that ever happened to you? What prank do you want to pull on your family? And I have assorted other ones. And so I made people register for those questions. Then I said, Here's the business part. You need to connect with everyone else coming on LinkedIn. And during the event, I was going to call on every single person for the most interesting answer. So it's equal opportunity networking. Everyone has to participate. Then at the end of the event, I do a survey, survey who had the best story. And I make a donation to their favorite charity. And then I do a big post on LinkedIn where everybody gets to comment and promote themselves again. So that's the format. I go to start this event. No one signs up. I'm like three weeks out, two weeks out, one or two people sign up. So I did some more promotions. I filled it up. And now I'm booked out two months ahead of time. 
I have May events open because March and April are fully done and I switched to two events a month. They are so different and unique. I get people from around the world and they truly are upside down networking. You're not allowed to tell your elevator pitch. People don't know what you do. I love that. And I actually can't wait to come along to one. I reckon I'm going to make the one in May or the next one that's available. You got to come. Many people on there from Australia. I'd love to. What you Have cut you... out for a second. No problem. Yeah, you're, Can you hear me now? Okay. Have so, you had many? Have you had many folks on there from Australia yet? I've had no one from Australia. I've had Amsterdam, Poland, Canada. I want the first Australian one. Are you going to be the first one? I am. It's as simple as that. It'd be interesting because I want to hear your life story. I certainly have a story, like you said earlier, Larry. We've all got a unique story, haven't we? And um, I certainly enjoy sharing mine. So I'd love one, to do that. One other thing, lunch of Lori does, and it's another Loriism. I get an X-ray into a person's soul. Those questions I ask really give me a deep dive into somebody, and it's pretty amazing. Um, most people come to lunch of Lori think oh, this is gonna be a regular event. They still don't understand it. That whole room has been crying. The whole room has been laughing. And some of the stories people have told, I know for sure they haven't even told their spouses. Well, on that note, I'm, I'm going to actually steal one of your questions and fire it right back at you, Laurie. What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? One of them is in college, I was in class, had to run out of class, was out drinking too much the night before, had to go puke in the water fountain and all in front of hundreds of people. <laughs> Man, I've puked in some strange places, but I don't think I've ever picked the water. Oh, I couldn't make it to the bathroom, Jake. I was too hungover. You know, it was one of those one of those college students I drank too much. That was just it. What can you do? What can you do? These, these things probably have happened to all of us at some point. I mean, some of the stories are amazing. I've had two gentlemen who this wasn't their profession, but they did it. One drove a train, he was not a train engineer, and one drove a tank and he wasn't in the military. <laughs> That's, uh, that is quite, I mean, there's a lot of people that do things that they're not qualified to do. Driving a tank is one that's pretty out there. Oh, it was pretty, the stories are pretty interesting. Again, sometimes they're heartbreaking because I do ask, what's your favorite charity and why? And a young woman came. She goes, why donate to veterans groups? And I asked why, because my dad died of Agent Orange from Vietnam. So uh, not everything in there is funny because some of the stories are are very, very heartbreaking. I've had two um, females who grew up in the inner city in the United States, big cities, who had to live off food banks. They were destitute, yet they pulled their lives together. They were inspirational in the end. So... Sharing your stories has a lot of a lot of motivational uh, uh, power behind them. Yes, sure does, and I think it also opens up other people to want to share their stories as well. Particularly when the stories, you know, are sometimes heartfelt or, or heartbreaking, it, um, it it inspires others to open up a little bit and crack the shell and, and share their story as well. And I think sometimes when we're sharing them stories that are a little bit difficult and traumatic. It um, 
it helps us a bit to share. It's, it can be nice and, and therapeutic in a way to share them. Well, here, here's what I learned. I share my stories first because you cannot ask other people to share their vulnerable stories if you're not willing to do it. And the thing is, it is vulnerability. I wrote a blog once called Vulnerability is the Doorway to the Door Name Trust. You have to be vulnerable before people are going to trust you. And talking on a, a live show where I'm saying I, in college I went and puked in a water fountain, not many business executives are going to tell that story. But if I don't tell stories that happen to me like that, I can't expect anyone to share their stories. Mm, yes. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. It's, it's you know, as being, uh, uh, reading, something, reading something lately that, you know, I guess you're the leader of that group in a way and you have to kind of set the, set the pace and the precedent. And to be a good leader, you have to be also a good follower and to, to come out and be vulnerable right away and tell your story to allow other people to open up and tell theirs and then listen to theirs. I think that's quite an important thing. Well, you learn a lot from that. You learn mm. a lot. I've had a question on the side here from a viewer, DJ Yannex from the UK, which is um, it's quite an unusual question, but it sounds like a fun one, so I'm going to ask it. The question is, what choice of socks did you choose today, and was it a difficult decision to make? Well, if I showed you the screen of my iPad, you would know in my house I have the sock orphanages. I have one of every sock so and they're mispaired so i once wrote a poem about the socks how i have the black sock dating the white sock i have the short sock with the tall sock i have the holy sock and i have the other sock you can't find socks in my house jake my dogs would chew the socks apart it used to be the joke when before i moved to the city when the snow melted in the spring my backyard would be all socks and bras and my dogs would take them out there. So I took the first pair of socks I could find in my drawer tonight. And I'm glad I found the pair. <laughs> At least you've got a pair on, Murray. I'm very, very happy about that. I think that is one of the true mysteries of life, isn't it? Is where do those odd socks go? In your case, at least you have some kind of explanation because the dogs are chewing them up. But let me tell you, it's something I still struggle with and i have no dog so um if anyone watching can help clear up that mystery of life it would be much appreciated i can tell you well the the hardest socks to find are the ones you need only once a year i can never find my ski socks or my hunting socks even though i know i put a lot of effort to put them in the drawer to make sure they're there they just go run away on their own i don't know where they go no <laughs> It's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah, it is true. Laurie, let's talk about returning companies to profit for profitability. I know this is something you specialize in, and I think it's a very interesting topic at, at the moment because a lot of businesses have been massively affected by what's gone, in, gone on in the past 12 to 18 months and will continue to be affected into the future. Some businesses have managed to pivot and take it digital and done very well out of that. Some businesses, not so much. And some businesses are, of course, still figuring it out. So have you seen a, a rise in clients since COVID or a decrease? Or No, it's interesting. The banks in the United States are not forcing companies out of business. So everyone's gotten a pass. In the a turnaround and workout world where you fix companies, I'm in some nationwide organizations. Everyone thought you're going to have a boon in business, and there is none. 
Um, I'm fixing a company now, returning them to profitability. And sometimes you have to cut your costs. Sometimes you have to find new revenue. Sometimes you got to find new products. The biggest obstacle that business owners are facing is the same thing as me at networking. When I first started, you want to cling to the past. You just wish for the good old days to come back. You wait every day to do that. And the best advice I can give and say it's not coming back the way it was. And so immediately start working on something else. And I don't tell that lightly. People say it's easy for you to say that, Lori. But I had to go start two startups during COVID. I'm in the same boat. My core business was hurt. I could sit there and cry and moan about when it's going to come back or I could find another way of doing business. So I would tell business owners, go to a white sheet of paper and pretend you're starting a business from scratch. Because I'm not saying you have to change everything, but at least on your first pass, put every option on a piece of paper that you're not doing today because sometimes there's a golden nugget in that. Sorry, Laurie, I lost you there. But you were, you were just saying tell business owners to go to a white sheet of paper and put on all the potential things they'd like to try like they were a startup. Take money out of the equation. You know, for me, I realized that I could have a business teaching people how to network because there's not a lot of businesses doing that. 24 months ago, I would have never thought about that. So you got to start. Look at all the possibilities. Um, what do you like to do? Sometimes you may have to make a pivot and do what you like to do because your business was too much, too much of a headache. So I just told business owners, start with that piece of paper. It, doesn't, it only costs you time. That piece of paper doesn't cost you money. And put down what are the possibilities. From possibilities you want to do to try to make more money to possibilities you want to do because you just like doing them. So uh, someone asked me the other day about my, the business I have. And he said, my face lit up when I talked about networking. And it's true. My Lunch of Lori networking business, and I'm building an online course how to train people how to network. I like that business more than fixing a company because it's more fun. I meet people all over the world. Um, I never looked at it as an opportunity 24 months ago. So it was out there. I needed COVID to, to force me to think about it. So those business owners who are struggling, they have to start thinking differently. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, adjust your thinking, change your perception, because it's quite possible that things will one day return to some kind of similarity to what they are. But I think there's just been such a digital influx in so many ways that in many ways things will not be the same as, as they ever were because a lot of people who were kind of a little bit held back from going to the digital side have been forced to and they've actually realised it does make things a lot easier, this technology. You know, and there's many, many different ways you can use it to enhance your business and add extra strings to the bow of your business that you otherwise perhaps would have waited many, many years to do until you were pushed into a situation that was actually quite uncomfortable and forced you to take action. That's what happened to me in networking. I didn't learn until I was in my 40s. But here's the biggest advantage of what COVID's done in the online world. It's broken down geographic barriers. The market is now the world now. We're, you're from Australia. I'm in Milwaukee. We would have never met probably 12, 14 months ago. Absolutely. And I realized that 
by pivoting into a product that has mass appeal around the world, I could have a different business model because of COVID than I could have with my standard business model. It's hard to fix companies if for me in Australia if I'm not there, but it's easy for me to teach people how to network all over the world. I don't have to physically be there. Yeah, it's great. And it's, it's just an, another story of something fantastic that's come out of COVID, you know, and, and there are many, many positive things to come out of it. This podcast that we're actually sat on right now would not have come about if it wasn't for, because of COVID, because like, you know, in the quiet time, a lot of people thought, looked at that to-do list, looked at some things that they'd wanted to follow up for a while. For me, it was public speaking, which led to this podcast, which is leading to some other fantastic things and books that are coming. And um, yeah, there's there's always always great opportunities at every turn, I think, if you keep your eyes and your ears open to them, and of course, your mind open to them as well. And you have to be willing to think big. You know, so many people have books today. Um, so I sat down during COVID and I wrote a 125 page book of how to network, but I don't want to sell the book yet. I jumped right to an online course. Everyone has a book, not everyone has an online course. So when I say think big, think beyond what people are doing today, find the next step in your business or your career and go after it. I'm 64, I don't want to fail at 64. It's a lot harder to recover. But if you don't get close to failure, you can't get that success again. So I'm trying things I would have never tried. I went in front of a camera for almost 20 hours a couple weeks ago. That was hard. An introvert in front of a camera is difficult. My first five hours of video was terrible. It sucked. It got better at the end. So when I, these business owners are hurt, you really need to think big and think of other ways of doing it. Thinking big doesn't always require money. It's more a mental change than a monetary change. Yeah, I think that's a very good insight. It's not always about the money. It's about the thinking. And it's uh, about working hard, of course, but working smart as well. I think it's just as important. Laurie, you've been in business for many years, and I'm sure you've had your fair share of challenges and obstacles. But as I kind of mentioned that, is there one particular challenge and obstacle that really sticks out to you? Yeah, I let myself be my biggest competitor. Mm. <laughs> How do you mean? I stopped achieving my potential because I thought I would fail at it. I was my biggest competitor. My oh, mental fear of failure was the biggest competitor I've had. It held me back forever. What I'm doing now, I should have done 30 years ago. So you were actually paralyzed by your own fear of failure? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Fear, fear is a powerful force to deal with, especially in the business world. Is that product going to work? Is the customer going to buy from me? If I open that new location, will it work? Is the bank going to give me a loan? Are my employees going to be good employees and show up? All those put fear in a business owner's mind. And I'm not saying they don't have risk to them, but I let them personally paralyze me. I should have been, I have a bookkeeping business I opened during COVID. I'm an accountant. I should have had a bookkeeping business 20 years ago. So interesting. It's so interesting. And I think really when, you know, a lot of those things you raise, are my employees going to show up? Are they, are they going to form a good team? Are we going to get good results? Is the bank going to say yes? At the end of the day, the only thing that really can happen there is it's a no to those things. And yeah, it might get some unfortunate results out of those but every no really does take you closer to a yes and as i said earlier it's about 
learning the lessons from the things that don't work out. I, I think you really only you only truly fail if you keep going at it again and again and making the same mistakes again and again because that uh, I mean, I'll kind of put it politely. It's a bit foolish, isn't it, to keep making the same mistakes? There is, yeah. but I, I will tell you, there's some other concepts I learned the hard way. Um, one is going backwards to go forward, and the second corollary of that is going sideways to go forward. We we are always um, trained to have I'll call hockey stick growth and things. You know, it's going to go up, up, up. It's a linear fashion. Life doesn't work in linear fashions. Life works with ups and downs. And sometimes you have to go backwards to go forward. Uh, literally during COVID, uh, I'll take myself an example. My core business is hurt. My income's cut down and I'm going backwards. But in going backwards, I also put a strategy in place now to go forward again. So going backwards or sideways to go forward is an acceptable strategy but many people refuse to do that saying, I'm not going back to how I was a couple of years ago. I'm not doing that. That's, that's necessarily not a good thought pattern. Mm, yeah, I'd say it's quite an unhealthy thought pattern, really. And then let's, let's switch from the challenges and the triumphs to the big wins. You know, as you said there, life is, you know, business is indeed a, a roller coaster. There's peaks, there's troughs, there's ups, there's downs. But share with us a big triumph for you, a real big win, something that really sticks out. The biggest win is I've had over 250 people come to lunch at Lori events, and that's exploded my network. When, I started, when COVID started, I had maybe 2,500 connections on LinkedIn. Now I have 5,000. I'm meeting people everywhere. I'm applying what I've learned in networking to myself, and it, the opportunities are unlimited out there. Um, in my bookkeeping business, that business is growing. It opened up in, during COVID and it's been successful from day one because of my network and stuff. Everybody could be a bookkeeper. Everyone doesn't have 40 years of business experience. If you combine bookkeeping with experience, you could really help business owners. And um, one other thing, Jake, I didn't mention, when I teach networking, I teach two words which are the core of networking the give and the take. If you lead your networking with the take, you want something, you will fail. If you network with the give, you'll be successful. So I mentor a couple of people in formal mentoring programs who are starting businesses. They're from um, the inner city of Milwaukee. By giving to others, success is coming faster and faster. So really, if you want success stories, you have to give people something. Yes. Yeah, I believe in that, you know, giving value up front and not always, um, not in some cases, not expecting anything back from that because, you know, that's in my opinion about karma. You know, you, you give and you get, and there's not a strict or stringent timeline on that for a certain amount of time that it's going to come back to you, but it certainly is going to come back to you. And I think in giving it, it recharges your batteries. It fills you up, you know, with, with good energy and it just makes you feel good as well, doesn't it? Well, it is. And you say something, I, I, I teach networking, and this ties a little bit on what you're saying, so I'm going to go there for a second if you don't mind. Networking is based, based on advanced mathematics, on the natural number E. People think it's a linear function. It's actually an exponential mathematical function. I'm not going to give away all the secrets, but that's one. The second thing is networking follows the laws of the conservation of energy. It's a science. 
And what you said is true. You could give to a million people and those million people will never give you anything back in your in your networking. But you gave energy to the network. That energy bounces around. And when you give enough, some of it's going to come back to you. But it's asymmetrical. If I help you 100 times, Jake, doesn't mean you'll ever help me. But if I help people in my network 100 times, some of that energy is going to come back to me. Those are the networking fundamentals that many people don't understand. They're so simple and basic is the reason they don't understand them. You've pulled back the curtain there, Laurie. Some certain secrets there for the networking world. I think if you've just joined us, folks, and you are about networking or you're interested in it or it's a subject that just intrigues you, then you're going to need to rewind 36 minutes because Laurie has given away some really true golden nuggets here. And uh, this leads me to my next question, a question I love to ask everyone on this show. Uh -oh. everyone come on the show i've ever asked this one so you've got to prepare a really good answer laurie <laughs> tell me how you would define the word hustle and what drives your hunger for it i'm going to use my dad as a definition my dad was 16 years old enlisted in the navy he had no money no nothing gets out of the navy he's underage had a hustle he would go i call work the street he would buy and sell stuff Hustle is finding anything you can to make some money to keep busy. It's not it's looked at sometimes as a negative term. I look at it as a positive term. My dad wanted to support himself. He had to go out in the street and hustle. And he would use that term. He would buy something, sell it, open a business, sell the business. You have to go out there and hustle is just finding ways of making money. I'm hustling in a network world. I want your viewers to come to a lunch of Lori. And so when you hustle, you're selling and you have to ask for the sale. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's, that's what your dad did. And, you know, it probably uh, definitely passed on some of that hustle to you, Laurie, that's for sure. Well, I won't hustle in the beginning. I was too shy. That was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. If you don't, uh, Jake, you know what yours, if you don't ask for the sale, you never could get it. No. If you're a shy introvert and you don't like talking to people, you can never ask for the sale. In fact, I was told I could never sell. You don't have the personality to sell. They forgot to tell me one little dirty secret. I solve problems very, introverts have a lot of power of analytics and figuring things out. I could solve problems that are very complicated. I have to substitute the word solving problems for sales. And that's how I become a expert salesman. I figured out how to solve the problem of people who don't like networking. Now I can solve that concept. So you got to be careful if you're labeled in life. Sometimes the labels are wrong because the definition's wrong. Mm. And I think labeling is a, an interesting point you make there because, of course, you know, you're an introvert. You have the ability to be an extrovert when you want to switch the switch. But people can be both. I was actually reading about something the other day, something that's known as an ambivert, which is, you know, a mixture of the two, which I guess maybe you, you could well be, Laurie. I know I am. I like to curl up sometimes with a good book and not really interact with anyone and, and keep myself to myself. But then otherwise I'm very outgoing and always like to speak to people and certainly never too afraid to ask for the sale. So I didn't actually know that there was such thing as an ambivert until a couple of weeks ago, which is a healthy mixture of both. Well, uh, one thing, um, here's my classical definition of an introvert and extrovert. 
one person is an introvert, one's an extrovert, goes to a party of 500 people. You necessarily can't tell who's an introvert and extrovert. You have to observe them when they go home. A introvert will come home from that event exhausted, sit in a chair, turn off lights, turn off sound, and just want to recharge. An extrovert comes home from that event. My wife's an extrovert. She has to call 100 of her friends, say who she met and what she wore. The real way of telling an introvert and extrovert is after an interaction with people. You can't tell when you're with people who's an introvert and who's an extrovert all the time. All right, that's pretty interesting. I didn't even think about it like that. You know, it's how it builds you up or drains your energy outside of and away from the situation, not just whilst you're in it. Laurie, we're getting close to the end of this podcast, and I'd just like to thank you for giving me your time today. It's been fantastic to share this time with you and get some of your wisdom and learn some of your your story. And I genuinely do really look forward to a lunch with Laurie. I'm going to book that in right after this podcast. If you could, Laurie, give three hot tips, and I think you're more than qualified to as a gentleman who started two startups within COVID, but three hot tips to anyone who's watching or listening to this podcast on how they could get started with their own small business. Um, Tip number one, find something you like doing. It's a lot easier to start a smaller business if you like doing what you're going to be doing. Tip number two, don't let money stop you. Start micro, start small, test your business out. It doesn't always have to be money. Um, your listeners and viewers can see my logo on my wall. That was the only hard money I spent to start Lunch of Lori was having a logo design. The rest of it was hustle and my time. And number three, don't let failure stop you from dusting yourself off the ground and starting again. You probably, when you start a small business, are going to fail five or six times before you get it right. Look at that as a positive, not a negative. Yeah, I think they're fantastic tips for anyone watching. And Laurie, I'm going to drop your links here in the comments. But do you just want to, for the folks who are listening back on audio, tell them the best place to find and connect with yourself? The absolute best place to find me is on LinkedIn. If you look up Lori Rifkin, my name, or do the search for hashtag lunch with Lori, you will find me one way or another. I have a LinkedIn networking group. Uh, you'll find my events out there, and um, it's the best way of doing it. Um, the second best way would go to www.lunchwithlori.com, but you can't do that this weekend. Come switching to a new website. And a new one's not up yet. LinkedIn would be the best way. And you're welcome to connect with me. Connect with me, but use a script to connect. That's one thing I teach. Say you heard about this on our show tonight, so I know where you came from. It's a good thing when you connect to people to share a little bit about yourself when you ask them to connect. Yes, give yourself a little bit of background. At least they know, yeah, where you're, you know a little bit about them before you even know a little bit about them, which is always a good foot to start on, especially if you're networking. I have a question for you, Jake. How did you find me? Laurie, do you know I'm not sure? That's a really good point. I don't quite know. I think it could have been through a Facebook group, um, one of the podcasting Facebook groups. Oh, it could have been on a bunch of podcasts. No, it wasn't actually, Laurie. It was through LinkedIn. How did you it see was, me? It was through LinkedIn. I can't quite remember. I think 
it may I may have been may have been um, a lady called Katie Corbett recommended you. Okay. Yeah, Katie Corbett's a, a copywriter in in the USA. I had her on the podcast a few weeks ago. She's actually blind, but she has a copywriting business and and is very successful. Um, yeah, she writes um, testimonials and uh, case studies for businesses. She's actually writing one for mine. So I think that's how we connected. Yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I lost track of how I meet people, unfortunately. Well, when you're, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I used to work in the events industry and you meet just so many people. And um, it can be a little bit embarrassing, actually, sometimes because I, I always used to struggle matching names to faces. And then I'd meet people and go, really nice to meet you. And they'd go, we've met before. And I'd be like, I'm really sorry. I can't remember where. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the pitfalls of meeting so many people, isn't it? But Yeah, it is. But you know what? You get over it quick. It's I'd rather meet more people and forget some of their names or where I met them than not meet people at all. Yes. Yeah, me too. Amen to that. Laurie, it's been fantastic to spend some time with you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening, sir. And thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Jake. And I'm, I hope I helped some of your listeners with uh, some networking tips and information. I'm sure you did. And thank you, folks, for listening, whatever platform you're listening on, whether you're listening now with us live on the 15th of March. It's actually the 14th where Laurie is. It's already the 15th here. And whatever platform you're listening on, if you've got some value from the show, please share it with your friends and they might get some value too. Thank you for joining us. Stay hungry, stay happy, stay healthy, and keep on hustling, folks.